Welcome to Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. I'm Richard Dugan, your host. Thanks so much for joining us on the program. It's a pleasure to have you with us. We come your way every Saturday from 3 to 4 p.m. Pacific time. We stream live at richarddugan.com and newspress.com. We are also rebroadcast on atazen.fm, and uh, we uh, also um, are archiving these programs. Amazing. We can do that. Uh, Once you've heard it, you can hear it again and again and again at richarddugan.com, the radio show page. Also, a reminder that we do have a special page on the website. It's called Extra Interviews. Those are interviews that we have done uh, that will air on the radio station, on the radio program, as well as A2Zen.fm. They just haven't yet. They're sitting in... We'll call it limbo. Uh, and uh, so we want you to go there. You'll get a jump on most everybody else who doesn't have Internet access or doesn't choose to check out those particular sources. So lots of opportunities to find out what's going on. And, of course, uh, a new par- tell me your story, new paradigms for a new world. We are giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. And today is no exception. We are going to dive into the realms of relationships. And I have a feeling that this particular program is it's it is directed maybe in the one sense at individual at couples but i have a feeling that a lot of this will translate into the interpersonal relationships that we have with other people that we're close to and maybe not so close to and maybe there's a reason why we're not so close to them we're going to talk about uh the concept this is rather interesting being wired for love how understanding your partner's brain and attachment style can help you diffuse conflict and build a secure relationship. Stan Tatkin is my guest, and I want to thank you so much for joining us on the program via Skype today. Thank you. Good to be here, Richard. Um, we've we've dealt with relationships many times on this program from a lot of different perspectives, and I know that a lot of people have difficulties with them. Uh, they they struggle with the the whole dynamic. They have been in one relationship after another after another, and I forget it was some famous uh, person who had been divorced maybe eleven or twelve times and blamed it on the other person and. You know, simple logic doesn't tell me that it was the other person. <laughs> so, uh, but there are reasons why, and you have come to the conclusion that um, if we could just understand uh, our partner a little bit more in maybe a little different way, uh, and correct me if I'm one of my first questions I would ask you is because uh, I used to believe this that it didn't matter what two people came together. For a relationship, uh, you know, a close, intimate, um, pair-bonded relationship. You'll have kids and family and, you know, and the death till, death till, uh, 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 till, uh, uh, till we part uh, phrase, the vow, uh, was invoked that didn't matter who the people were, they could stay together forever. It wouldn't make any difference. In other words, you could work through anything. Is that really true <laughs> well you know uh, there was a time when death came came rather early um <laughs> it's coming later these days so uh, long-term relationships are longer now than they ever were uh, so uh, here we're talking about models for pair bonding that work over the long run uh, not over the short run so biological models such as uh you know what we know about courtship in the first part of relationship that still holds 
um, you know, we're on a cocktail of drugs uh, when we meet somebody, and that allows us to do things we ordinarily wouldn't be able to do. Um, and then that ship sails, and now we're with that person, and that's what the you know that's what I write about is actually what happens next. And now now we're with deep family at that point. Um, a relationship that's very different from any other relationship. And there are a lot of people who sink and a lot of people who swim in that kind of longer-term relationship. Well, relationships are at so many different levels. And even people who, I mean, I've even heard of of, uh, people who've been married for, I don't know, 50, 60, 70 years. My parents are headed towards their 60th, I think. Congratulations. Uh, or uh, may have actually, I'm trying to think now um, what year, I know what, what month and day, uh, but nonetheless, um, and that's right, they would be headed towards 60 and 16, 2016. Um, but some people marry and have married over the centuries more for convenience than anything else. They don't care about the relationship. They care about status and position and money and other things other than the other person and what they can create as as uh, a couple uh, in that respect um, is it that's the wrong reason to even establish any kind of a relationship is to try to get something for yourself well i think there is something to be said for getting something for yourself in a relationship so we have to really uh you know separate out all the other reasons for getting married which there are are many, 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 many reasons for getting married over the years, over the ages. But let's say two people in modern times want to be married in the West, uh, it's going to have to be good for me and good for you. It's going to have to be a system that is based on mutuality and fairness and justice and sensitivity. Otherwise, it's probably not going to work. Or it will work, but it's not going to be necessarily what we would consider a secure functioning relationship where both people are feeling happy and secure and taken care of. But as I read, of course, the subtitle of your book, rather long subtitle, by the way, uh, you talk about uh, uh, the the partner's brain as well as the uh, attachment styles. Right. And those are obviously the brain. There's the chemistry aspect. Is that is that specifically what you're talking about? No, really talking about the way, uh, the, the way the human brain is organized and how we operate as automatic beings. We operate according to our memory, our memory, our experience through early childhood and upward. And that that is, uh, that is how we're operating most of the time. We're operating according to what we recognize as having happened before to us and sometimes that is an obvious recognition and most times it's not it's just automatic and uh, the other part here that's really important is that our brains are built a little bit more for love I mean for war than for love so we are uh, much more aware of negative things or threatening things that are coming our way uh, than we are positive things. So threatening faces, threatening voices, threatening postures, threatening words and phrases. These are things that get people into trouble in love relationships. And uh, a lot of people don't really understand and respect um, the primitive nature of the human brain when it comes to intimacy. So that's one part. The other part has to do with uh, a kind of blueprint that we experience early, early, early in childhood as, as to how we move toward and away from others, especially those upon whom we depend. Is there a point 
in a relationship where even you would say, hey, you know, it would be best if the two of you went your separate ways because it's really not serving either of you? Nope. No, it's uh, I don't because I, I really do believe that nature does quite an amazing job um, at pair bonding. People select each other according to familiarity and recognition. By the time they come to me, they're needing help in, uh, in uh, behaving or having the, the relationship uh, function in a secure manner. So that's my job is to help couples uh, aim towards secure functioning, not to decide whether they should be together or shouldn't be together. People will do that on their own. Relationships are actually quite sticky. And like the song, breaking up is very hard to do. Mm-hmm. And people are going to do that um, on their own. They don't need a therapist to tell them. And I, I know there are just hundreds, if not thousands, of songs out there, the lyrics that we could quote uh, in terms of how people have handled relationships or how we're told we should handle them. And uh, we've never really been able to find uh, what is what might be considered the manual for relationships. Where would you, on, on that scale of, I just got some ideas to, here's the manual, where does your book Wired for Love fall? Well, the manual here is based on science. It's okay. based on what we know uh, about uh, neurobiology, about brain development, about infant attachment, and about uh, adult uh, pair bonding and mar- marital outcome studies. So this is based on science. Mm-hmm. It, this is not a manual that's based on personal values or religious values or sure. even really cultural values. No, and I understand that, And I, but the, the, the question is, is kind of still there because then you also throw in this whole issue of, uh, of attachment styles, which uh, basically w- that says to me the baggage that I've managed to gather up over the years and bring with me into this present relationship that I'm in. Is that is that a fair assessment? Yeah, it's it's baggage, but it's it, it, you might think of it this way. We, we all come from somewhere, mm-hmm. and where we come from is a culture of care, and that culture of care is 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 in our caregivers experience and that becomes our experience as well. So you might think of it as a more naturalistic sort of nature process of adaptation. We adapt we adapt to the rules and regulations um, of our families in terms of, of, of how important our relationships are vis-a-vis other factors like being right, being important, being powerful, being wanted, being loved, being um, the prettiest or the handsomest or the smartest kid on the block, stuff like that. So we're organized in a certain way according to our experiences early on. And that's the baggage, if you want to think of it as that. It's the baggage we take into our adult relationships. It's it's really a, a more like an expectation and anticipation of what we believe is going to happen when we start to depend on somebody. We believe this or that is going to happen based on our real experience. And yet, in any relationship, regardless of what level it's at, uh, there is the unknown. We don't know what they're going to do. They don't know what we're going to do. So you have this great variable right. that uh, even if you were to able to, and I don't know if even this, if this is even possible, even if you were able to get rid of all of these attachments, you know, um, un- offload all the baggage, let the airlines take it, you know, um, come into a relationship clean, as it were, I've been through a number of personal growth and development programs, intensives over the years, right. uh, thinking that, 
Oh, this, and I had a great time. I learned an awful lot about myself and about uh, the human dynamic and so on and so forth. But it didn't resolve the issue of the fact that I am a once divorced and hopefully last time ever divorced individual. Uh, I am in a new relationship that when I when I married my first wife, I wanted to uh, emulate my parents, who, as I said, uh, are headed towards their 60th wedding anniversary in about uh, two years. And um, and that's pretty remarkable. My dad in his early 80s. My mother, I think, just turned 80. And uh, that was my goal then. Then when I got divorced, my goal was I never want to do this again. I mm-hmm. never want to have to go through this. So I am going to do everything in my power to make this t- this one work. That's why I've always struggled with the statistic that uh, at, in first marriages, it's 50% divorce. In second marriages, it's even higher. And I thought, what? You, you're going into the second one dumber than you were the first time? How could you how could you do that? And that's why I, I've taken the position that I'm going to do whatever it takes to yeah. make this work. Let me say something about that. First, the, I think you got the idea that this baggage or this idea of of attachment style is something to get rid of. You, you don't get rid of it, and it's not to be gotten rid of. Okay, it's, it's not a problem. It's not a it's not a, necessarily a defect. Okay, but it has to be understood in terms of behavior. Um, so that you can take responsibility for how you move in a relationship, but also to know your partner well. So when you talked about instruction manual or owner's manual, we want partners to have each other's owner's manual. I know, Richard, if you were my partner, I know exactly how you work. I don't complain about the way you are. I understand the way you are, and I know how to move you around and influence you without using fear or threat, and you know how to do the same with me. So th- this is not a problem that we come from where we come from and we are who we are. We, we, just the opposite. We want people to accept, know who they are, accept it, take responsibility, but then really know the other person as a unique person and know how they operate. I mean, that's real security is knowing uh, how to work that you know each other. And as for the uh, the statistic you mentioned, well, the statistics are a little skewed because there's a lot of reasons why people don't make it in the second and third marriage. And what I find in, in my work in research is that there are very specific reasons why these other marriages often fail. And it's because people make the same kind of errors that they made in the first marriage. Well, that is a fact. Um, and uh, that's one of the things that... Uh, uh, when I, like I said, uh, just go, thinking about going through my first divorce, I, it's horrible, thinking, isn't it? Oh, it's and, and I was lucky that I wasn't married in California. Um, I was I was married in Arizona, where it was a community property state, and I didn't have any real community property other than a freaking house, <laughs> and it should have been simple. Uh, but um, nonetheless, uh, you know, it, it was what it was. And, and I do understand uh, the, the, the things that, that we have carried with us all these years have made us who we are. They exactly. have developed us to the point that we, here you and I, we're talking about this subject and, uh, and, and we're trying to understand not so much. I think maybe this is a real uh, uh, key here for uh, couples you're still individuals, and as such, you need to understand yourself first. Is that, uh, is that a fair assessment? 
Not really, because we understand ourselves through another person. So it can't, it, you know, there's an idea that's still a prevailing notion out there that you have to love yourself before you love another, or you have to know yourself before you know another. And actually, it's it's just not true. Mm-hmm. Developmentally, we know ourselves through others. Uh, we love ourselves through others. And so we have to do that with a person. We can't, unfortunately, do that in a cave or through a book or a workshop. We have to actually do it. And it's a it's a two-person uh, process. Uh, and that's just kind of the way it goes. You just have to sort of dive in and do it. Exactly. Well, and of course, there are some who, who uh, um, even when I was married the first time, said that, you know, I was still too young. Well, I was 23. But my wife had just turned 18. Right. And it was as we headed down the final years of our relationship together, um, I began to hear about uh, from her things that she had brought with her into the relationship that she had never shared with me. And that was one of the reasons why things were going the way that they were. Yeah. And I thought, okay, well, and I had to give her credit for the honesty. Um, I was, I was a little frustrated with the method that was chosen, but nonetheless, it, it, uh, you know, I think one of the other aspects, and, and we're going to jump back into this, this whole issue of the attachment styles as well. So I want to get into, I'm sure that there are, categories that we can talk about in in a in a general sense you know there are i don't know if there's seven or ten or 15 or 20 but nonetheless i want to get three there there are only three three i could have sworn i had more attachments i feel like i'm i'm pulling a u-haul trailer behind me um but uh, and i'm sure people some people feel that way but uh, in terms of um uh, uh going through these dissolutions if you will whether it's a divorce or you're not married, you're just in a, a a relationship with someone that could go in that direction. This book, from your perspective, this book could really assist them in uh, make taking that final step if that's what they really want to do in terms of understanding th- themselves and the other person. Again, the, the the way the brain functions as well as the attachment styles so that they can go into, let's say, a committed monogamous relationship for life with that one person. Uh, I, I, and I almost put, I want to put this in the context of the question, with no conflict, with no upheaval, it's just going to be smooth sailing? No, there's no such thing. Conflict is important. Um, we, you know, the, here's the idea is that people are able to create uh, a lot of positive experiences between each other. They're able to play uh, a great deal. They're able to to get in and out of conflict without becoming threatening. And that's really the problem. It's not the conflict. Money, time, sex, mess, or kids is what people mostly complain about. But it's not that. We're talking about moment-by-moment uh, misattunements. Uh, mistakes, errors, uh, where people feel that the other person isn't hearing or seeing them. They feel that the other person may be attacking them. They want something and the other person isn't isn't responding properly. These moments keep repeating over and over again. And this becomes the gravel in the shoe. This becomes the problem that uh, that begins to accrue where people don't know how the brain works. They don't know how primitive people really are, and they don't pay attention to cues on the face and the voice and the body that suggest my partner feels threatened at this moment or I'm feeling threatened. So we have couples who are not really good at 
at, at handling distress. When they get into a distressful situation, they're not real good at it. They stay in distress or they get worse. They become more threatened by each other, and that becomes a huge problem. The other problem is that they're not, they're not very good at creating excitement or not good at creating you know, passion or quiet, serene love. So this is not about a perfect life together. This is about two people growing together, moving through life in the same foxhole, protecting each other from the dangerous environment, the people outside. Um, and this is, by the way, a biological thing that's been going on forever with mammals. Mammals pair bond in order to protect themselves from predators. And the same thing with the human uh, pair bonding situation. We get together with another person, ostensibly, to protect each other and to protect ourselves from the environment and to provide enough energy within that system to go out and slay dragons and do things we ordinarily wouldn't have the energy to do. So that is the that is really the main idea here. Now the the book Wired for Love was written for the public. More recently I did a, a six um, CD set uh, audio for Sounds True mm-hmm. called Your Brain on Love, which I think from what everyone has told me um, uh, is has been uh, so far the most comprehensive. I haven't listened to it because I, it's my own voice, so I probably never will. <laughs> I hear that from a lot of folks. It <laughs> took me. Uh, it took me. Uh, you know, early in my career, it took me five years to be able to stay in the same room while they while they uh, listened to a commercial that I had just produced, in order to uh, determine. Okay, yeah, that. Go ahead and run that. Put that on the air. I I I just cringed every time. But it took five years, and now <laughs> at least I can sit and listen without cringing. Um, very good. So it's it's very interesting, and and I have had a chance to listen to that uh, a portion of the CD set as well. We're talking with uh, Stan Tatkin. He is uh, uh, he is a, a clinical re- a clinical a clinician researcher teacher as well as a developer of the psychobiological approach to couple couple therapy. Ah, go ahead, got, got my full, huh? yeah, indeed. Uh, and then and it's amazing. You only have a PSYD behind your name. Uh, I have a lot of guests who have. I can't they have the whole alphabet back there. It's amazing. Uh, you also um, uh, teach as well as supervise family medicine uh, residents at, uh, is this uh, Kaiser? Kaiser Permanente. It's the UCLA Family Medicine Program. Down in Woodland Hills. And um, now this is also very, uh, this is very relevant. I want to dive into this when we come back because you live with your wife and daughter in, yes. uh, in, down in Calabasas. And we're going to talk about that more as we continue here on Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. I'm Richard Dugan. The book is entitled Wired for Love, How Understanding Your Partner's Brain and Attachment Style Can Help You uh, Diffuse Conflict and Build a Secure Relationship. And we're also going to find out about this couple bubble. We'll talk more in just a moment. I'm Richard Dugan. This is Tell Me Your Story. Stay tuned. Tell me your story. Welcome back to Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. I'm Richard Dugan, your host. Thanks for joining us. We're talking with Stan uh, Tatkin, PSYD. He is uh, the author of uh, both a CD as well as a uh, print book, Wired for Love, How Understanding Your Partner's Brain and Attachment Styles Can Help You Diffuse Conflict. 
and build a secure relationship. And we're certainly glad that he's joined us on the program because uh, I would have to say, Stan, we can use all the help we can get regardless of where our relationships are. Um, and uh, I guess that back when I was first married or maybe before, that thought of mine that any two people could make it work, period, end of story, um, there is some truth to that. And I didn't realize that there was a certain level of intuition there, but I wasn't the guy to put the uh, materials together. Uh, you have done so in this book, Wired for Love. And I am curious as to, uh, if, you may, if I may ask, how long you have been married. And in a general sense, how's it going? <laughs> I, it's going great. Uh, my, I consider my, my wife, Tracy, who uh, we knew each other uh, since we were 11 in junior high, uh, I consider her to be one of the uh, the, the strongest influences in my uh, in my my developing this approach. Uh, uh, just my own experience of being in a secure functioning relationship, and that doesn't mean that we're both uh, considered secure, securely attached from childhood, but our relationship is secure functioning. Uh, that that has been really uh, a huge contribution. To I wouldn't be able to do anything I do today if we're, if it were not for the relationship I have with my wife. And that's interesting. We hear the phrase quite often of uh, uh, figures down through history that behind, behind every great man. And what I am understanding is that, um, that I should add, by the way, she would say the same. She's been able to do things since you know uh, because of our marriage that she has not been able to do either. So we both. We both have done things together that uh, I think uh, were harder to do when we weren't together. And so, uh, from her perspective, it would be behind, behind every great woman. Yes. <laughs> and I would have to say that that um, I remember uh, one of my conversations with my parents uh, some years back. Uh, this had to do with the subject of sacrifice. People used to say when they found out that my parents had six children, Oh, my, they must have really sacrificed. They gave up a lot to have you kids and bring you up and send you on your way and so forth. And so I, I finally got to the point, you know, I need to find out if that's the truth or not. Turns out it's not. It's no. what they chose. It's what they wanted to do. And, yeah. and so when I hear people talking about sacrifice in a relationship, I'm thinking, well, then you don't really want to do that. Because, you know, if you're having to give up something in exchange for, you know, whatever it is, there's, there's something it sounds, is that, would that be considered to be something, uh, to use a current vernacular, dysfunctional in the relationship at that point? Well, here's, I think, the idea that's probably um, uh, confusing. We sacrifice all the time. I mean, we lose things all the time. I decide to do this. I don't do that. I pick this. I didn't pick that. And so there, there is no there's no way to get through life without giving things up. Mm -hmm. That's just a fa it's just a fact of life. To make it sacrificial, I think, uh, you know, is is kind of martyring oneself. Uh, we're always, since we're very very young, we're giving things up for something else. And in a lot of ways, we're, the thing we're giving uh, something up for, we're betting, we're putting our money on mm -hmm. that that is going to be a better deal. And that's what coupling is. You know, we're putting money on this this horse race we're you know we're investing here we're not losing ourselves we're not losing anything we're actually investing in something um yes we lose the other options the other choices but we we do it because we we are bargaining we hope that we are going to get 
something better than what we than what we had before. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think we have a lot of these uh, sayings uh, in our culture that uh, are not very helpful. I would agree. Uh, yeah. yeah. I would, and of course, you know, I, 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 there is a certain element of semantics here too. But I, I still agree with what you're saying in that regard. Now, I, I, I like what you're talking about in the book, and and of course, I mentioned when we went to break about uh, we're going to talk about the the couple bubble. But I got to tell you, I have a feeling that that may have been the wrong phrase to use because look, <laughs> we've 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 seen the internet bubble. And the real yes. estate bubble and the economic bubble, and we saw what happened. So now I'm really, really concerned about the couple bubble. It's funny you bring that up because John Gottman, who is a very, very well-known, very respected uh, researcher um, in this area and clinician in this area of couples therapy, um, wrote me uh, when uh, when writing the first book, Love and War, uh, that you know, with just what you said, he 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 wanted us to rethink the, the idea of using couple bubble. <laughs> for je- you're the only other person other than John Gottman who has brought that up. I must well, say, I think a little differently than most, and most of the people around me would say, yes, he does. <laughs> he, he, and he probably could use your help, Stan, uh, to, to get through the troubled spots in his life. Let's talk about the couple bubble. First of all, sure. define it for us. The couple bubble basically is that idea that I mentioned before, that, that, uh, that people, you know, a couple, is, is, uh, they're in uh, a foxhole together, not separate foxholes, that they protect each other in public and in private, that they they decide, because it's good for both of them, to tell each other everything. They're the go-to people, the people that each can run to when they're in distress or they want to celebrate. In other words, these two are tethered to one another to basically get through the, you know, the bumps and the sounds and the scary stuff at night, the hard stuff during the day, the difficult people in life, that that this is a two-person psychological system that's that is that functions on true mutuality and protects itself from the environment in other words the resources available to the couple are are basically shielded from others who would intrude and try to get a piece of of what they have and this is this speaks to that other comment i made about subsequent marriages often failing one of the things that people make the mistake doing is that they don't get the idea. They, they seem to have a hard time understanding that the primary adult attachment relationship is primary. It doesn't suffer, doesn't like being secondary. So people don't like to be thrown under the bus when they're in a primary attachment relationship. They don't like to be relegated to third will. And this just often happens with couples. Um, they don't understand that and they build up a lot of uh, again, uh, threat to the safety and security system by doing this. So the couple bubble basically is this couple is king and queen of the land. They are uh, equal powers, um, and they uh, they <laughs> they're self-generating, and everybody sort of lives under their roof: their kids, their dogs, uh, extended family members, all other people. And to the degree that, uh, that they take care of each other is really how valuable they are to the community, to their kids, and to other people around them. Hmm. You know, that's interesting because, um, uh, the, 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 again, these, these dynamics are very interesting. And I know that you said this is coming from a scientific point of view. Yes, and there's I, folksy I, sayings here, but this, but the, I, there is scientific evidence about this. And yes. yet, what you have just described 
is 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 well said in the uh, um, I think it's a biblical passage in particular uh, that where uh, that when uh, when two are joined they become one they become another individual it's almost like there are three individuals there that's right and so this third individual is the couple. It has a totally different, and I'm going to put it in this context, electromagnetic and or biological functionality, as well as a a unique uh, thought process, psychology, emotional process. I mean, it is a, it's, to me, I'd rather call that a corporation than those that we have in this country. Yes. Because it's truly a living, breathing entity, if you will, even though there's no real shall we say, third physical body. That's a a very astute, and I I agree. And this, to take it even further, this this pair, whatever pair it is, whatever couple it is, um, they form a a sort of a unique fingerprint that can never be duplicated. So you with your wife, you'll get together with another person, and whatever happened or whatever there was between you and your ex-wife can never be duplicated again. Mm-hmm. That next couple system that you get involved in will be different uh, and has nothing to do with better or worse. It's just different. So every relationship between two people that's forged here in this kind of couple bubble has, as you said, a unique property to it, a third element that is like a fingerprint, can never be duplicated. It is unique and it is almost sometimes beyond analysis. I, I think that to me that's fascinating, and just to begin the process of um, metaphorically dissecting that uh, to understand better, and I, I and I now I and I can begin to understand more uh, about this whole aspect of being in a couple, being part of a couple, and struggling with the that concept of coupleism, if I may, right. uh, when for the longest time, um, and this was obviously as I was growing up and into my early 20s and even into my first relationship, my first marriage, still feeling a lot of individuality right. uh, and not quite uh, incorporating or, um, uh, shall we say, congeal. I can't even think of the right word I want to use here. Uh, at the moment, but not quite assimilating. That's the word, assimilating right. into the coupleism that I want to say should have been there and obviously wasn't, or maybe it was, but again, we, we were still having issues and so forth, uh, that now I am, I am hearing very, very clearly uh, from my wife. That's what she wants. She wants the coupleism. She wants that... Uh, she wants us together there in that foxhole, if you will, <laughs> right. or in that bubble. Matter of fact, it's interesting you say that because we euphemistically say that we live up we live up above Santa Barbara, up on the hill, uh, overlooking the valley, and and say that we live in a bubble up there because we're oh, we're secluded and isolated. Yeah, and so that kind of helps. But I I'm hearing that now. In other words, I didn't know what to call it per se, yeah. but you've defined the very thing that I've been hearing coming from her. And and it's wonderful that she wants that, but also understand too that she she too, like many others, may not know how to get it, may not know how to do it. All right. So let's start from there because to me that sounds like a key point, uh, a focal point 
for couples who are people who are interested in becoming couples for them where where do you start developing a I saw the dome under the dome not my kind of not my kind of bubble um, especially with the drama but but I would like to start constructing that if I if I've begun it wonderful I can I can start taking a look at the places where I've already laid the the foundation or what have you, so that I can continue with her building this incredible uh, dynamic. I think, first of all, many of us, some of us, not many of us, some of us come from family, um, uh, you know, families where these kind of secure relationships were readily available and were available to us when we were very young. And so for those of us or those people who have had that, it's a little bit easier to do this. For the rest of the population, which is the majority of the population, there's been some version other than that secure relationship early, early in childhood. And so we're learning and we learn by mistakes. We learn by redos. Uh, But, but, Ultimately, the idea has to be kind of a, a, a realization on both parties' uh, part that in order for this dog to hunt, both people have to make agreements that are based on fairness and justice. So agreements like what do we do? What do we serve? Why are we a couple? What's the point? Um, you know, why not hire out to do these things? Why not just get a dog? Um, so a couple partners have to decide that they have a purpose, that they, they serve a function, and that, su- that function is not only um, survival, but thriving. Here's an example. There are a lot of people who come from various backgrounds who successfully pair bond, um, not in the romantic sense, but in, in another sense, in paramilitary organizations like the police department, the fire department, you know, and, and the military, where the, the culture insists that people look after each other, that no person left behind, your partner is your life, you watch each other's backs. And these people are put into a situation where they tell each other everything, where they depend on each other, and to such a degree that their marriages, if they have them, uh, suffer because they become primary figures. So we know this is possible, but I I think um, two people have to have it in their heads. Um, and have to be thinking, why are we together? What is our purpose? What do we serve? What do we do for each other that others couldn't do, don't want to do, um, and that makes this, this uh, you know, experience um, worth our time and our effort? Because people are basically a burden. Um, when people get together, they're taking each other on as burdens. And that's sort of the quid quo pro um, in, in the arrangement. So, I'd say the first step is, why are you together? What do you serve? What's the point of, of, of the two of you being together? And if it's simply because we love each other, that's not going to work. If it's simply because we have the same interests, that will last all of 10 minutes. It's got to be based on something um, that is more robust, that carries people into the future, that's good for uh, uh, 10 years from now, not just, to, not just today. So that's one. The other is what I said before about understanding where you came from, accepting it, accepting your partner, and knowing how they work. And then the last is really, really understanding this business of being threatening, that it is very easy for us to become threatening without wanting to be, without expe- you know, and, uh, meaning to be, but, uh, but we 
can be, especially when we get close to another person. And a lot of people don't pay attention um, that they've hurt their partner or that they've said something that caused distress and they don't fix it. They don't repair it. They don't do anything. And then this leads to, uh, to a bad experience eventually. What about, and I, I want to phrase this in the proper way again. Did that help, by the way? It, 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 very much okay. so. Very much so. Um, but it also raised the, the question of, well, I'm going to phrase it two different ways. One is, what about the soul or spirit of a relationship? And maybe a different definition or a different verbiage um, would be the energetic or dynamic uh, that is created uh, in a relationship. How does that play? Um, and I, I'm actually wanting to take it to even a, a deeper level because I'm, I'm wanting to go into this uh, a little bit more, shall we say, metaphysically Metaphys- or spiritually. Yeah. And again, this has nothing to do, as, and I would agree with you, as you stated at the beginning of the program, I don't want to get into uh, politics or religion or, mora- or morals because I believe that um, one of the greatest definitions I heard of specifically of the word moral uh, was life-giving. End of story. Don't have to say any more. Is that life-giving, what you're about to do? But you have to make the decision. End of story. Um, bringing two people together to do whatever it is that it is you want to do, um, if, you know, and so forth, uh, I think is a wonderful thing. But let's talk about, uh, if we can, the soul or essence, if you will, of a relationship. Well, w- w- let me just address one part here, uh, and it's it's sort of sub-metaphysical, if there is such a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, when two people, and this goes back to uh, our studies with infants and infant attachment, as, as human beings, we don't function well if we don't feel safe and secure, and especially in our, in our most valuable and valued relationships. Mm. If those relationships are anxiety-filled, what happens is that we don't have resources to do other things. These internal resources uh, in our brain, in our body, to be able to even walk properly. Uh, people who are insecure often get into car accidents uh, just after breaking up in a relationship. They can break bones. So if, if, if people are feeling insecure, they don't have internal resources to, to, uh, to feel um, anything spiritual. They don't feel anything beyond the sense of uh, every day uh, in, in, a, in a very implicit fashion, every day is very difficult. Every day um, I'm having to spend a lot of expensive resources internally to just hold up, stand up, do my job, do my work, get through the night, sleep at night, get up in the morning, handle all these people who want things. Um, that takes a lot of resources. When two people are agreeing to tether to, to each other and to and to make each other's life fundamentally secure. I mean, fundamentally, this is this is one of the t- at the top of the list. We absolutely we don't play around with this. Um, you know, I will never leave you. You are the person I want. You're the greatest. Uh, so on. We do these things for each other. We now free up resources to do a lot of other things, including see ourselves uh, ab- above and beyond um, the body, above and beyond the mind into the spiritual. Uh, you know, if you look at uh, models that, that, you know, where people are having to worry about their shelter, their food, it's very hard for them to be metaphysical or, or spiritual because they're dealing too much 
with the flesh and having to deal with just getting through life and not dying. So mm. we're, we're talking here also about two people providing scaffolding, uh, providing a, a, a foundation to stand on um, that gives them an enormous advantage over other people who don't have it. They have resources to spend. They can develop further individually, personally. And they're nicer people, and they care more, and there's, there's much uh, more loving kindness in them. So the, the two are linked, this idea of, of looking at something greater than yourselves, something greater, the relationship is something spiritual. But in order to have that, it has to really have the nuts and bolts safety and security to it. Now, how does one um, establish in the relationship that level of security if either or both partners uh, are constantly questioning, uh, well, you know, I mean, and, and it could even right. be in a non-lucid moment. I mean, let's just say you've had a few drinks over dinner and suddenly the conversation turns and, you know, you could go anytime. You could just leave anytime. I know that you could. And you're sitting there going, no, I have no intention. Of, I No, I couldn't because that's not my intent. My intent is to stay here with you. I love you. I want to be with you. I want to live the rest of my life with you, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. There are things that we've planned to do that I want to, you know, I want to achieve. Uh, it's together. simply done, Richard. It's simply into the eyes. I am not. I am not going to leave you. Mm. I am not going to leave you. This is the kind of thing. This gets into a security issue. Security versus reality issue. So uh, a child asks a parent, uh, you know, Daddy, am I going to die? And uh, a reality answer might be, Well, you know, uh, sweetheart, you could, and you could get squished by a car tomorrow, and that would be unfortunate. But I don't think it's going to happen. Good night. And now that would be a reality response. Um, that's going to create a big security problem. Mm. But another parent would say, no, sweetheart, that's not going to happen for a very, very long time. Um, uh, some a partner could say to the other, will you love me forever and ever? And the other partner may, in, in terms of reality answer, may say, well, you know, uh, forever is a really long time. Um, can we just go, you know, year by year? Um, that is going to have um, real security consequences. So the security answer to that question is, Absolutely. Mm. And this is mm. the kind of assurances that people provide each other because they can and because the consequences of not doing that are great. They're great because when people feel that the relationship may not exist tomorrow, the ground beneath them begins to rumble and everything becomes very, very hard. Mm. It, it sounds to me like uh, folks need to get a copy of this book. Wired for Love, uh, Stan Tatkin is my guest. And we are talking about how to understand or basically how understanding your partner's brain and attachment styles uh, can uh, help you diffuse conflict and build a secure relationship. And I, I think that that's one of the things that uh, may be a key, because I know that uh, they say that it's it's uh, money, sex, and I don't know if it's politics or relatives <laughs> that are the three taboos or problems that most couples have uh, over the course of the relationship. And I'm wondering if really it comes down to, regardless of what it is that you communicate about, it is the communication. It is the actually talking on a deep level about stuff that is important to the two of you in your relationship. Because would I be wrong in assessing that a couple could come together 
and say this is the reason we're together and and there isn't going to uh, there isn't going to be this particular element in the relationship and if the two of them agree to that because I've known of uh, relationships that have been intimate but platonic there uh-huh. there was no sexual relationship in the relationship but they lived together for f- their lives secure attachments really have nothing to do with with sexuality yeah. romance um uh, or 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 child discipline for that matter mm-hmm. it only has to do with safety and security okay Okay. Um, which is which is a big deal when getting through life. Don't forget the sex part is extremely important for exciting love, and that is a that is part of the addiction of love, the uh, kind of a dopaminergic system, a reward system that we get when we get very excited, and that's very important. But it is not um, it is not exactly what is at the forefront of nature's goal um, when we pair bond. Uh, that is to procreate, and the rest of it is you know, is our nutty cultures dealing with the issue of sex. Yeah. Um, but to, to be sure, uh, you know, it, it, the couples will always come in with uh, money, time, mess, sex, or kids, or religion, or some other issue. I rarely see that that is the problem. It's it's There's always going to be those issues. The problem has not to do so much with that. It has to do with some of the things we've been talking about, mm-hmm. their agreements. What do they really... What do they really do for each other, yeah. and whether they're uh, whether they're friendly, and whether they're aware of each other, whether they take good care of each other, and whether they pay attention? We haven't talked about it that much, but they pay attention to each other's faces and eyes. Um, this becomes much more of, of an important thing when dealing with the human animal than money, time, sex, mess, or kids. Um, a lot of people fight about a lot of this stuff, but that's not really what they're fighting about. They're fighting about stepping on each other's toes without caring, doing things without uh, considering the other person. Um, they're involved in some kind of, of system that is fundamentally too much unfair and unjust and insensitive. And that's, the, that's really what's going on most of the time. Other times, people do have deal breakers. I want kids, and you don't want kids, and that's a deal breaker, right? Because if I can't live without having kids, and uh, you can't live with having kids, then we're at an impasse, and we may have to break up. That may be a fact. Yeah. Um, but that's that's about it. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I don't want our our time's going to slip away pretty quickly sure. here, and I know that uh, we're going to come right up to the post here. So I want to make sure that our listeners can get the information that they need. Uh, so first of all, I need to know uh, the name, uh, your website, and what will people find helpful on the website? Well, it's first it's www.stantatkin.com. And for people, the general public, there are articles on the site. There are um, uh, there's information about coupling on the site for therapists. Um, we do trainings all over the world, so there's information about doing training in PACT, a psychobiological approach to couple therapy. Um, also, we've now just launched, along with uh, a lot of other couple experts in the country, um, an organization called Relationships first relationshipsfirst.org and this has been spearheaded by Harville Hendricks and uh, his wife Helen Hunt John Gottman myself Tracy Dan Siegel a lot of famous people Sue Johnson in this field have banded together and have started this 50-year mission to 
uh, to change the culture, to move it more towards relationship-centeredness uh, and away from uh, where we seem to be going, which is a little bit more towards isolation. So they'll find information about that, too. Uh, are you familiar with uh, uh, the late Dr. Leo Buscaglia? Yes, of course. Uh, he was known as, uh, for, I grew up with him because my parents listened to him, both on PBS as well as uh, tape series. I still have one of his tape series, and they called him the Love Doctor. I'm wondering, mm -hmm. I'm curious as to, um, this may sound like a strange question, but where where do you pick up from where he left off? I, you know, I have to confess, I don't remember. I remember his name. I remember listening to him. I don't remember his ideas. Okay. So I, I, I can't say. I, I would, I'd be making it up if I said. Then that's fine, because I, I, I know that people uh, uh, down through the centuries and from around the world have talked about love and relationships, and so forth. And everybody comes up with their own perspectives, their own ideas. As, and I found it rather frustrating when I was listening to uh, a one tape series called. It was called the Maximum a marriage series and I listened to this guy and he was funny but educational it was great and loved it and stay together and he was married when he was doing these things and then I found out 10 years later he divorced and I thought wait what, what, does that nullify everything that you just said I'm curious as to <laughs> <laughs> and so I kind of bring that forward here um, before we jump into our last few questions and that is you are certain as far as you can be, that the techniques, the ideas, the concepts, the science that you have discovered in Wired for Love, as well as the CD series, uh, work and will work if you work them. Yes, and nobody should. I mean, we have a, a thing where we 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 take things from gurus, um, and we think that they are uh, exactly uh, walking the, the talk. And a lot, of, you know, that saying, you know, we teach what we need to learn. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of us are uh, are. Um, you know, like, uh, you know, I'm an idiot like everyone else. I can do stupid things in my marriage. I can do stupid things uh, no matter how much I learn. That's really, I think, the important thing about this is that uh, understanding how people do operate and respecting that and accepting that I think goes a long way towards not feeling terribly bad about failure um, and failure in relationships because there is really nothing harder on the planet than another person, Richard. I mean, mm -hmm. uh, people are very complex, very difficult. Yeah. So people should hang their hat on ideas that are attractive to them, not the personalities. Mm -hmm. um, people are people, and uh, you know, if if, uh, if we're looking for anybody um, who's going to absolutely do what they are talking about, um, we're going to be very, very disappointed. Um, we're, hopefully, we're attracted to the ideas. The, uh, that that seem to uh, ring true and seem to be helpful, and those are the ones that we that we go with the principles, the ideas, and we try to do them as best we can. But uh, what people will learn from my writing is that people um, mostly don't know what they're doing. They don't know why they do what they do. We're making stuff up all the time. Mm -hmm. That's just the way we roll. Yeah, and uh, and uh, people are. Um, are difficult, and, and that's just the way it will always be. Um, so yes, these I, these ideas work. They're sound. 
Um, and they may be hard for some people to do, um, but it doesn't mean that people shouldn't strive to yeah. do it. Before we wrap up here, let me ask you my final three questions. Who is Stan Tatkin? Oh, I'm just a drummer. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just a drummer. I keep thinking I'm just a drummer. That was my life 20 years, 26 years um, as a professional drummer. And uh, but um, but I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a drummer. I'm a teacher at heart. Um, I, I'm a clinician. I love my practice and uh, and I love my family. And, and that's uh, that's who I am. And what is it that you hope to or want to achieve through the work that you're doing now? Well, this has all been a gravy for me. This has been a big surprise. Never expected uh, this to happen at all. Um, I am I am very proud of the people around me that assist me, that help me, that uh, that have uh, contributed uh, to this work. I am very happy to see it grow and to see it expand and help people. That's I truly. I mean, I'm <laughs> that's truly uh, the blessing for me and my, and my wife um, as well. We feel very, very, very blessed. How powerful are we as human beings and maybe that third entity of the couple? I think um, when it comes down to it, it is our, our lives in the small, in the, macro, in the micro, that really make a difference. Um, uh, that, that the couple is a, is a real basic unit of energy. And that if the couple is really good uh, um, and really good for each other, good to each other, uh, that they become sort of a guiding light. Um, and Harville Hendricks wrote about this too, that they become a light for others to draw, like a, a moth to, uh, to light. Uh, they draw people in. And I think uh, that's where Relationships First is starting this year, is with the couple. Uh, we believe the couple is, is really sort of the smallest unit here mm -hmm. of love and light and, uh, and influence. I want to thank you so much for taking time out of uh, what I know is a very busy schedule uh, to, to share your story with us and uh, these concepts in Wired for Love. Uh, Stan, it's, it's been great having you on the program. Richard, it was great talking to you. Once again, Wired for Love, the website Stan Tatkin, S-T-A-N-T-A-T-K-I-N.com. And it is how understanding your partner's brain and attachment style can help you can diffuse conflict and build a secure relationship. Until next time, love to lull.